0: Welcome to the One Track Mind Podcast. I'm John Miller, and in this episode, my guest is Motorsports Public Relations Manager, Efren Oliveres. We talk about working for Mazda Motorsports and Ferrari Motorsport North America, and what being an at-the-track PR representative is like. Efren explains the different approaches and goals of major manufacturers in racing versus the PR and marketing goals of an independent team like, say, Magnus Racing. He tells a story about one of his drivers getting chased by track security and sent to the jail cell at Homestead Miami Speedway and almost missing the race. I would call Efren a critical optimist and he doesn't hold much back when we start talking about some of the problems that sports car racing faces. Efren also talks about racing vintage cars and how he's giving back to that community. This episode is brought to you by Socket Roll, the ultimate in portable socket storage. The Socket Roll is a patented, durable, fluid-resistant, portable socket storage solution that keeps your sockets organized and accessible. Great for the home garage, workshop, at the track, or on the boat. Available online at socketroll.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Follow us on Instagram for photos of guests and show previews at One track Mind Show. And enjoy the episode with PR guy, Efren Olivares. Oh, and Ephron would like to make it clear that the opinions expressed here are his own and not those of the clients or companies he represents.
1: <laughs> well, I care. All right. I have, a, I have a closet full of apparel from teams that don't just don't exist. I don't know what to do with it. I should have worn one of. I should have worn one of my APR shirts today.
0: Well, you're wearing a shirt of a track that doesn't exist anymore.
1: That's different. That's okay. The track <laughs> is cool. People like APR and Evo Sport, not so cool. All right. Well, we are recording now, by the way. I wish you'd have told me now. <laughs> there's no intro. Usually there's a song. No, there's no intro.
0: No, no. There's that, some that music. All- that all gets done in post. And actually, that just shows me you haven't listened to any of the episodes
1: already. Yeah, I Be- did. There was an intro in the Maxi episode. There was an
0: intro of me talking. There's no song. There's no dance. There's, this is not like a high production value thing here. We don't, Clearly. we don't have the resources for that. We've got microphones and a recorder and people that I begged to come sit here and the talk to me
1: and two dudes on a weekday afternoon who I- had <laughs> nothing better to do <laughs> exactly yeah well well such as it is here we are all right
0: so Efren Oliveris professionally a uh, PR account manager non-professionally kind of an a- <laughs> <laughs> how do you uh how do I'd you like separate those two the, the <laughs> well,
1: one you don't too i <laughs> Like to think I've taken the second, at times I can take the second thing, the professional level. <laughs> at times. But yeah, uh, I guess the short version of my bio is uh, I do motorsports PR and automotive PR for a living. And Mazda is kind of your main Maz- client at the moment? Mazda Motorsports has become my, my primary responsibility um, starting in January this year. It was an interesting time to step in to a program that was obviously undergoing and had undergone a ton of change.
0: Yeah, so talk a little bit about, about the change that, that went on at Mazda the, the last couple of years and what they've been doing.
1: Yeah, so actually, it must have been now about this time last year because um, I believe the last race they did in 2017 was at Mazda which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Mazda announced that they were parting ways with Speed Source and was joining um, with Team Yost to form Mazda Team Yost to compete in IMSA's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Um, and as a part of that process, they parked the cars for the year. And basically devoted the rest of 2017 to testing, development, kind of reshuffling the deck, as it were, to come on. To get a running start for this year. Yeah, that was the plan. And I didn't uh, have a confirmation that I was going to be joining to support PR until, I think it was the day after Martin Luther King Day. So it would have been middle of January. So, so pretty late in the going. In the I grand mean, scheme of things. literally 10 days before, before the, the Rolex, before 24. the green flag for the <laughs> Rolex 24. Yeah. So, but stepping into situations like that, I mean, what do you do? You just, yeah. you just roll with it. Is so.
0: that just a function of the way that, that like the, the Mazda corporate cycle was, were they going through changes of, cause you work, you work for an agency. Uh, yeah, a, a branding, a PR agency, mm-hmm. and Mazda is one of the clients, and and you're the one who takes care of them.
1: Actually, now the deal with Mazda is I'm a directly contracted to Mazda, so ah, okay. I report directly to them. And as as a part of this sort of, uh, without giving too much of the nitty gritty away, but as, as part of the recommitment, if you will, to sports car racing and IMSA, um, a lot of the I guess support on the marketing side for mo- for Mazda Motorsports now comes directly from Mazda, whereas before Motorsports kind of existed as its own, you know, kind of as its own unit. Now it's kind of been incorporated into the corporate structure, which is actually... That's a good thing? In my opinion, it's a good thing. One, it's good that the manufacturer takes an active interest in motorsports, in my opinion. I mean, I think I have friends in this industry who feel differently because it kind of feels like you have, you, you can have more oversight than you'd like, or you know too many too many, too many cooks, cooks in the, kitchen. In the ki- yeah okay um, that hasn't been my experience i've i've i think they're going about it the right way i think the fact is that they're happy to use motorsports to sell vehicles and not just gt3 race cars i mean you know if you go to what Mazda calls its retail evolution stores, which are the new stores that are being redone. If you like the one here in Tustin is getting their facelift right now. If you go inside it, you'll see what I'll call like the fingerprints of motorsports all over it. Uh, So it's a good, they're
0: they're trying to really integrate the whole brand with the motorsports messaging.
1: Absolutely. So, (laughs) so in my opinion, it's a good thing. It's a
0: positive. for sure.
1: It's a positive. Does it mean that perhaps at times I may sit in more meetings than I'd like? Sure. But I think in the grand scheme of things, it's better to have The manufacturer actively involved in the success of the program and actively utilizing the program versus passively using it and kind of only using it if the results suit them. You know, sure, this to me is a much better, much better way of doing it. And you know, if in in terms of Mazda, it's not just IMSA, it's MX5 Cup, it's Mazda Rota Indy, it's um, SEC and NASA. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the kind of broad spectrum of everything Mazda touches in motorsports is. I'll say at least actively monitored and actively utilized on the corporate side. So it's good. It's 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 definitely stretching me in ways I I haven't dealt with before. But it's nice to be part of the team.
0: So what does a a public relations account manager or what what is your your role there? I mean, what you because you travel to the races, you're at the track for a lot of the.
1: So I mean, I guess sort of the primary overreaching. Point in having someone at the track, and it's not just me. There's there's other members from Mazda who are there. Is one to be Mazda's voice, if you will, to also be able to report back to Mazda what we see, what we observe. Having having boots on the ground shows Mazda's commitment to each of these series, whether it's MX-5 Cup or it's IMSA. But in terms of responsibilities, it kind of varies depending on. The weekend and depending on, you know, the series, for example, in NIMSA, it's slightly different than MX5 Cup because MX5 Cup has a staff of PR people who, you know, handle the basics. Well, I shouldn't call them the basics, but kind of the nuts and bolts. The press releases, the media, the and stuff, stuff like that, yeah. yeah. And, the, and those are
0: people that you, that are not directly with Mazda, but that, that you, work, you work with when you're at the track to...
1: Exactly. Kind of have a cohesive Basically. And, and, you know, the, the, I guess if you really had to just sit down to what my one thing is, it's to make sure that Mazda is correctly represented. So it, whether that's, Does that, is that released.
0: like putting out fires when it, when it comes to it? I mean, what, you know, the, the, there's obviously the day to day stuff, the boxes you have to tick. Mm-hmm. Are, are there other situations <laughs> where you know, you've had to, I guess, change, change the message or, or uh, put out a fire or, sure.
1: Well, so I'll use Daytona this year as an example because Daytona did not go well for Yost. Um, and, and unfortunately for us is the the race ended in kind of a public way, so there was kind of a lot of attention there. You can't change facts and you can't uh you, you can't force people to unsee what they've seen you know so at at that particular so what what, instance, what did people see? people saw <laughs> and it, people saw an engine failing um and yeah and, and this you know, was the, this AM. was the first this race the first for this race. brand
0: new program that that yoast racing had taken over right. from this this previous uh, team that, that had been managing it mm-hmm. and there was a lot of i think enthusiasm and optimism oh because, absolutely because the yoast name carries a lot of weight um yeah. in, in inter- international sports car racing
1: yeah absolutely so for for the team it did not end well um and you can't like I said, you can't force people to unsee what they've seen. You can't change facts. Um, you can sort of fill in the data. So, for example, when um, I think it was the 5-5 car um, had the fire that, went, that put it out about 8 in the morning. It c- couldn't have come out of worse. Right when the TV cameras came back on. It just couldn't happen 10 minutes earlier, but is what it is. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of questions came in. Okay, so was it an engine failure? What kind of engine failure? And actually, it, it was not. It was what I'll call, ah. what I'll call an accessory failure. But you can, like,
0: but people see the car pulls off the track. There's exactly flames out of the exhaust, and people make assumptions.
1: Exactly. So you know the best <laughs> that you can do in that situation is just share as much information. You know, there's there's two sides of it. If I know an entire, you know, what led up to it, what caused it, what you know, all of that information. Some of it might be sensitive. Some of it might not be sensitive. Sometimes you have to make a judgment call about what you're willing to share. Sure. Or you know what you're not willing to share. Sometimes you need to get a whole team of people to be on board with that. <laughs> to sign off on that, And sometimes yeah. it's not possible. So sometimes you just have to make your best guess and just try to minimize the damage. Right. You know, I think what we have going for us is uh, we have a team of people who's usually not shy about being honest and forthcoming. Transparency. And talk, being, yeah. And that helps a lot. So yeah. that's, that's you know, in terms of bad things that could happen, you know, that's certainly a, a car failing in a public way. That's that, That's one way. Um, I had a situation, uh, 14, so 14, was 14 the first year of Tudor? It was the the Memo Gidley crash at Daytona. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Which, which involved a Ferrari, when I was doing PR for Ferrari at the time. Right. Um, so we had a driver in the hospital, you know. A yeah, major incident. Major incident. Obviously, the Memo was hurt pretty badly, which is on all our minds, but we also had a driver that was, you know, in the hospital as well. I would say, thankfully, at the time, Reese was handled by a woman named Fiona Miller, who is now the press officer for the WC. You couldn't ask for a better representative in that situation for that team, so uh, that minimized sort of my heartache, if you will. What were the, some the time.
0: Of, What were some of the things that that you had to deal with in that kind of minute minute by minute situation where you've got a major incident, drivers are hurt and sent to the hospital, people are wanting wanting information, wanting updates, probably faster than then you can give them or then then are, you know, realistically available.
1: This is going to sound a little weird, but I actually was hoping I didn't have any information to share. Sure. Because it just means I uh, there was less there was less possibility of me misstating or missaying something. Really there was nothing to say. We knew um, what the driver's condition was, and and luckily for us, it wasn't that well. And I'm talking about um, Mateo's condition, not Memo's. It was not that bad, but he was obviously hospitalized, and the race was over. And you know, yeah, there and w- a
0: lot of times, I mean, when drivers are, are in the hospital, I mean, you know, there's certain um, laws medically
1: that, yeah, uh, in terms
0: of releasing information, correct?
1: Correct. There are, and in the in the case of of IMSA, um, when something like that happens, we there's there's an agreement that. The only person, that's the only people that are going to speak to the conditions of the drivers, is going to be the serious staff, and but they coordinate with us. Um, but the re- and the reason, and to some people that may sound strange, but the reason for that is to minimize the possibility of misinformation going out. It's one voice, everyone's consulted, and you know it's kind of said and done. the The challenge there was because we weren't able to state anything publicly for a long time. I mean, I think it was not even until the next morning. Um, and, and, and you'll notice this happens in racing if you don't watch a lot of racing that they won't show replay of a crash if it's a really bad crash and you know there was no replay of that crash available I believe until next morning until there was until a, they knew the condition exactly the drivers right so so the hard part was just being approached over and over and over and over again and having no information to share if 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 I was the team rep my challenge would be to minimize what my drivers might be saying you know, journal, journalists aren't dummies. You know, if if they don't get the answer from one person, they're going to go to the next, go to the next, go to the next. That's, that's their job. Our job is to make sure that whoever is going to be next in line is saying the exact same thing. Or if you have a loose cannon, to never leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, luckily, there wasn't... I mean, I, I guess I could be wrong, but I can't recall a situation from that period where we allowed something to be said that was untrue or ambiguous or you know right where you had to go back and do damage control exactly no it it that got managed that got managed fairly well and you know what what people may not realize and i i i can understand the need for people to want to know you know, what exactly is going on? Well, did this really happen? Or I saw this picture on Twitter because a journalist was standing there and took the picture well, and threw right. it up without thinking. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, these drivers have families who might not be there. So yeah.
0: so, so, how do you, I mean, Do mean, do you ever have to go out and play an active role in like shutting any of that stuff down when
1: people start making assumptions or start putting false... Uh, information out there it's tem- or do you
0: just stick to the message
1: it's tempting to want to do that especially in this age where so much information can be available so quickly on twitter you run a danger of allowing yourself to be put in a situation where you again we might not have all the information we might state something that we think is true the worst thing that could be is that you find out a little bit later that you were off the mark even if you were a little off the mark or you were a lot off the mark the fact is if you need to at any point have to correct yourself That's not a good position for a public relations representative to be in. So it is very tempting sometimes to try to correct people, but sometimes it's best to just don't click send on that tweet. Just write it out. You know, it's it's um, it, it. You would you know, you people might have the wrong impression that like you said, it it is our job to get in there and get in people's face and and stop people from saying stuff that's incorrect. In my experience, that approach does not work. It can work. Um, yeah. but sometimes it's just better to let someone else misstate things. And right. the best thing that you can do is be accurate. It's a lot less interesting than saying, Oh yeah, I got in this guy's face and I made him take it down and apologize and blah, 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 and this and that. But it really doesn't work like that. You don't, sure, you know,
0: especially when like in a, in a sport like racing, I mean, where a lot of these personalities are type a and, and over the top and, and wanting to, you know, set the record straight. I yeah. Mean, I mean, I know that a lot of, drivers and people who aren't trained in pr or or uh aren't thinking about things um with the kind of overall message in mind i mean those are the kind of people who who might go out and and do uh do that kind of work on twitter anyway yeah um you know, you know shutting people down or or even like i you know i've seen you know, twitter uh, i'm i'm excited that we've already gotten to, to talk about twitter because yeah. holy moly what a <laughs> <laughs> what, what a, what a, uh, a pr success! yeah, yeah. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth um i mean that, that's got to be tough i mean the 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 constant um misinformation or or people defending each other or, or putting out, like you said, posting photos or videos Mm -hmm. of, um, drivers or the the crash when, you know, really it's not appropriate. Yeah. Um, so, so that, I mean, what are some more of those, um, some of those kind of unique challenges that, that you've, you deal with in this day and age of,
1: yeah, I think you, you, you end up, you have to talk about two different things. One, you talk about what I'll call your your message your overall plan and i'm i'm going to guess that 9 out of 10 or 99 out of 100 racing programs don't have a plan when it comes to pr and it's it's very reactive and is that maybe
0: the difference between a factory
1: program and a um, independent program or is is that it? yeah to to some degree but i don't think that's intrinsically because one's factory versus one's um, not you know but i think at the end of the day a oem spending money in the top tier of imsa has different goals than a, a mom and pop team racing it, keep right. them well, like
0: a like a Magnus racing. Yeah, exactly. But, but so I would look at them and I would say they probably do have a pretty good strategy. You no, know, it's, it's an unconventional well, strategy.
1: Well, I would. And, and you're correct. And I would I would say that they're they've definitely I mean, there's no there's no denying and having worked there for two years way back when. They absolutely have a plan and a strategy, and I would also say that most other teams don't. So they're definitely an, an exception. But, but to your point, a the goal of John Potter's PR efforts are very different than the goals of Acura, Mazda, Cadillac. You know, the so for sure. for, for those reasons that, uh, you know your average factory run program is going to be different. But the so we're talking about two things: talking about the kind of day-to-day messaging, and in the case of an OEM, so how does it translate to the streetcar product, how does it translate to whatever on? Um, and then when you get down to what I'll call crisis communications, I, 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 and again, it's going to sound kind of strange, but most of the time, the best strategy during crisis situations is initially just to say nothing. It's like, it kind of fights every instinct you may have. Um, but again, the, the whole point when you're in a situation like that is to be accurate and to, um, not, not to, not to lie, not to shield, but, um, and it, you know, again, we're talking about racing, so we're not talking right. about <laughs> we're, we're not talking about the things that really, really we're not curing cancer. We're not yet. curing cancer, we're, you know, um, So if you see you know, some kind of disaster that gets news coverage, it, 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 we're in California. We get wildfires. We get you know, things like that that you see on the news. Their goals are going to be very different than what we're going to do when our day goes badly at the racetrack. Um, but the, their job is to be accurate and to be transparent and to be available. Um, when you have a situation you have some kind of crisis situation where you're hiding stuff that's mm. that's like throwing that's like throwing blood in the ocean you know th- then then you're just inviting everyone to come in and and sure you know. don't
0: look behind the curtain kind of a basically
1: yeah, yeah. um so it's th- those are the days you don't enjoy for the most part um I much prefer the days where your cars finished one two and everybody's happy and yeah the dealer the dealers all record record sales on monday and you can, you can take credit for all the brilliant marketing ideas that you had yeah. that led up to it, of course, because naturally the PR people have everything to do with the, uh, the on track products. So
0: <laughs> is your day at the racetrack when you finish one, two, is that a longer day? Is that more work than when
1: you have something like a, a crisis situation where there's a crash or a, a bad result? Hopefully it's not longer than a crisis day. Um, But just just the logistics of winning a race means, you know, you have a podium, you have a press conference, you have, you know, it does tend to make your day longer. But that's okay. You know, everybody goes home happy. You're willing to to put in the time.
0: When there's good results, are you then trying to, you know, extend the the media reach are you trying to set up interviews are you trying to you know kind of soak up every bit of of positive um exposure that you can from like a a one-two finish
1: you do and there's there's a plan at least there is for us and i'm sure this is true of most of the people who know um what they're doing there is always a plan to capitalize on 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 success um much like there is a plan to um manage uh, a bad day in theory if you have a good you have a good finish you win a race you win a championship whatever you do kind of receive more we'll, we'll call it organic press you know there people you. Yeah. people are people are going to be coming to you that's 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 the easy so it's part it's a actually. natural reaction yeah. yeah okay that's that's the easy part the the hard part is making sure that your team or your company is well represented when you're not winning every single race um, that's the bigger challenge because it's it's easier to talk sure. about it's it's easier to talk from the top or the ivory tower than from the middle or yeah. the bottom. So that I mean the 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 days are longer when you win. You do have more work. You tend to have more follow-ups afterwards. But the harder part is you know the the long stretches where um, you're between races or you don't have a whole lot to announce or you've you know the results haven't been there. That's yeah. that's that's the the harder circle and that's kind of where you where you see people who are experienced and people who are creative do well versus people who no, I'm not going to go there. But no, no, go people, there, go I, there. I, was gonna <laughs> I have this analogy of um, living near a bakery. Some living, living near a bakery? Living near a bakery, and people like being near a bakery because they like to smell the bread. Mm-hmm. And I think that type of what I'll call personality can apply to a lot of people that work in this industry. And they're only good at doing their jobs if things are going well. Mm. When things are not going well, then you see them really really struggle, be frustrated. And I, I don't know if this is good or bad, but I tend to not get myself personally wrapped up in the results of the team. One, because I, that can, that can be hard. <laughs> it can be character building in, in yeah. all, the, all the wrong kinds of ways. I, exactly. Yeah. And so to go back to my earlier point, yeah, if, if your team or your manufacturer or whatever is not, is going through a dry spell, that's the, that's the hard part. That's when you're that's when you're really. That's when you're earning your paycheck and. and th- yeah, yeah, I mean that's yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's there can be a big separation of who understands how this works and who doesn't. Now, granted, I, again, I wish you know every team I ever worked for just won everything. That would make life easier. I had a, <laughs> I had a good stretch. I had spent five years working with Ferrari and won the. Well, I didn't win. Ferrari won three championships in that stretch. So three yeah, championships. Times won, were good. Won Daytona, <laughs> the the, the twenty eight hours of Daytona.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you—that's uh, right. You were with Ferrari with the uh, during the level five. Yeah, uh, GT win,
1: and that was the same weekend that the uh, Memo Goodly crash happened. So right. That was a that was a very full. So that was two a busy. Days. That was a
0: long and an extra long work day. And work it was weekend.
1: and it was the first. Tutor. It was the first United race of Grand Am. Between Amuniste. sports cars, yeah. yeah. So it was. I mean, You're a busy boy that weekend. It, it was fun. Oh, so, I shouldn't so say what, it was fun, but it was. <laughs> it was character building. It was. It was a long, long weekend.
0: Well, so what? What was just to, to touch on that a little bit because that that GT finish is infamous now. Yeah. Between uh, you the Audi and the Ferrari, uh, and eventually you know.
1: Fli- yeah, the flying lizard Audi you know, and the, the, the Ferrari, Level 5 Ferrari.
0: Right, the Level Five Ferrari won the race on track, mm-hmm. uh, and then was penalized immediately post race you know, yeah a whole big ordeal big ordeal um, giving the win back to the Audi yes it was a you know last lap pass it was uh, it was great racing and, and this penalty came down from from mm-hmm. above and so the the Audi guys get on the podium take the win take the watches the
1: whole thing and, yeah. and,
0: and take off back home. Uh, meanwhile there's a protest quickly as i as it, i recall yeah. some of them got out there quickly yeah <laughs> and but there was there was obviously a protest going on from the ferrari team saying hey this th- we don't buy so, this penalty so what what was going on in the background in the, in the pr room at that time
1: so funny so i decided at that moment in time um and luckily enough i had someone there helping me in the,
0: um, sorry in the media center the, I don't, the a pr room is not a thing
1: yeah the, the media center especially at daytona it's 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 a real media center. It's nice. It's got Wi-Fi. It's some of the places we go aren't so nice. Yeah. Um, I, had, I had help that weekend, so I had him stay in the, in the media center. I, I could go find <laughs> these five drivers. I did to understand what was going on. And I was getting texts and calls from people at Ferrari. Like, what, what is this going on? What just happened? What, what, just, what just happened? Because, and this happens a lot for, with OEMs, is they don't necessarily understand the nitty-gritty. You know, so wait, you know why is there an avoidable contact penalty? There was no avoidable there was no contact was no contact sure. And sure they don't and to, to a lot of us the the language and the rule seemed strange right that you well
0: could. and they're just thinking, we just won the race. why aren't our drivers on the podium yes, so nah.
1: so um I just decided to just kind of stay where the drivers were. There was no protest file because there's actually no process to file a protest on a penalty like this, so the decision to mm. reverse the penalty that had. I hate to say it like this, but it had very little to do with the team, the drivers, whatever it was reviewed internally. Now.
0: Okay. So granted, maybe no formal protest process, but there had to be some screaming and yelling going on.
1: Um, The drivers were unhappy that that's, that's, that's clear. Um, The team was unhappy. Um, One of our drivers actually just took off um, and was never heard from again. So it was, it was very, very strange. Literally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, I just kind of say with the four drivers and was just kind of just being eyes and ears for everybody back in, in Ferrari to kind of keep them appraised of everything that happened. But the, the decision to change the penalty happened completely internally. I say completely internally, but clearly there was a large amount of backlash from within the paddock, social media backlash. Do I think any of that by itself led to the reversal? I I don't, but clearly I think IMSA understood it had some kind of issue on its hand because this penalty may or may not have been warranted. Um I don't know and again I don't know enough about the rules to understand how they could arrive at the decision to to make the change, but 4 hours later there we were having an impromptu press conference and it was All the fans are gone. All the, All the fans other are teams gone. are
0: gone. It's it was it like it was dark
1: out, I right? It was like 8:30 at night. Yeah, yeah, it was it was what well, I will say the team did one very, very smart thing when they brought the car in because I don't believe the, f- the Ferrari was sent to park for May. Um, mm. They parked it in the garage and um, roped it off. So no one touched it. No one, lo- no one took it apart. It was uh, still sitting there. As it came off the track. As it came off the track.
0: So they, they were totally confident.
1: I, don't, I wouldn't say they were totally confident, but I think they, someone said, well, look, this could happen, and let's be honest, the last thing that needs to go in the trailer is the race car anyways. Right. So, we're hmm. gonna put it here, pu- you know, very publicly, where n- people can clearly see. No one's looked at it or touched it, in case it came to it. I, I again, I and I don't know if that car ever went to tech. I all sure. I all I know is that by like I think nine thirty, it was it was in the it, it was in victory lane with four of the five drivers and the rest of the team. Some of whom had to, had to get woken up from their post race naps to come back to the new victory lane. Um, yeah. With and the, we were taking photos.
0: Did, so, did they have extra Rolexes on hand at that point? They did not.
1: No, it, it took. It took, as I recall, it took several weeks for for those watches for to those watches delivered. to get delivered. Yeah, because the,
0: as I understand it, the Audi guys got to keep their watches.
1: They did. Well, I believe they were asked to return them. Oh, they were. I believe they were asked to return them. Oh. I've never actually asked any of them. Interesting. Um, I believe they were asked, but and and in their defense, I mean, yeah.
0: Well, that that's ah, tough. You that's you've tough. left the track thinking you've won the race. You probably you know,
1: left in a hurry, thinking you won the yeah, race. Yeah,
0: knowing that you know the circumstances were maybe a little bit uh, muddy at best, but still, you got your Rolex. I mean, yeah. this is like a crowning achievement for any driver. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would have left the
1: track. I, you know, lickety I, split. I do feel, I I do feel for them, but at the end of the day, uh, yeah, it's it, at the end of the day, it was not a good look for anybody. I think, honestly. So
0: and so, so do you? But do you treat that then as the PR guy? You just go into we run the, we won the race mode, and now that this is how we're treating it, or how did you address?
1: I'll tell you what I did personally: the is, controversy or the, the yeah, decision. So, because every manufacturer is different, and certainly for Ferrari, it's it wasn't about beating your chest too hard, at least in terms of what you say in the press. You know, um, at the end of the day, this was a privately run team, so they kind of get to dictate. How they want to approach it and how to, what they want to do. Well, all we can do is worry about you know what comes out in our official language, right? So yeah, we just read as we won. I don't even think we mentioned the whole. I'll call it a fiasco because that's really what it was. Um, uh, because even though, even if you're the manufacturer and you feel like you've been wronged, and yeah, justice was, if you want to, if if that is your approach, and justice was served at the end of the day, and damn it, we won, and we're going to tell everybody. It's still not a great look to especially if you're Ferrari, to say, you know, we beat Audi and, you know, IMSA tried to take it away from us. and Right. You, know, not, you
0: don't have to explain the details of it. It's just, hey.
1: Right. Because because think of what the public perception is if you say, Audi tried to take it from us and we got it back and IMSA totally screwed us. And, yeah, those you know, whiny Ferrari guys. It, it, well, yeah. it, ex- exactly. And, and it's, so you kind of have to keep in mind how this is going to play. So it was far better to just sort of stick to the facts, underplay it. Yeah. Congrats to our team. This is the, the, that was at the time, the first victory for Ferrari at Daytona since 1998. It was, you know, there, there was plenty of good to talk about, you know, so no need to kind of harp on the bat, you know, all we can kind of control is, is what we say. But if you already have a reputation of being, you know, I don't, I don't know what the right way to say how people might feel about Ferrari, but you know, we'll just roll with it you don't need to give people more ammunition sure. because in at the next race, it's, well, do you remember what Ferrari said about you? That that kind of stuff. So, and this is kind of why when I go back earlier, when I say I tried to not get too invested in the results because that was a, that would have been a a roller coaster of a day as it was already, you know, it's better, it's better to be writing your releases and communicating with media and from a very kind of like calm state of mind. If you're too emotional uh, emotion is em- emotion is rampant in racing. That, that's this the, is, yeah. This is why this you got is, into this. This I mean, is what this we're is all here. What we for, care about. You know? So yeah. So it, it's it's kind of like fighting your own instincts a little bit. But I think you minimize your chances of slipping up or making a mistake. And when you represent a manufacturer, you really can't, there's no option. Sh- yeah. You can't really make a whole lot of mistakes. Yeah. So it's far better to like I was saying before, and when things go badly. It's sometimes it's better just to say less rather yeah. than to say more. Yeah. And that can be a hard thing when you're, when your team was so clearly screwed out of a win. <laughs> but um <laughs> right right. But yeah, that's part of the deal. Copy that.
0: So so how did you, let's rewind a bit. How did you get to where you are now being the the PR Rep for a manufacturer at a top level sports car racing series because oh, you've, you've been a motorsports and racing guy kind of your whole life, right?
1: My dad came home with a race car when I was three, and yeah. uh, so really, so th- you were screwed. That's just, I mean, just stick the needle in my arm. I yeah. mean, that's that, that's really it. Um, so, did you
0: always want to work in motorsports or no, I was wanted it to be like, a race car driver, yeah, of course. Okay. Never
1: to be, only wants to be a race car driver. I, 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 I attained a reasonable level of talent in vintage racing, so. You know, I have that going for me in terms of in terms of fact. You're the youngest
0: guy team. in vintage racing by about thirty years.
1: I'm not, thankfully, but that only means I'm getting older. <laughs> 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 there, there. All right, fair enough. There was a time when I was the youngest person there, and I, it's not time has passed. Really? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, just, it's still pretty close, though. Close, yeah. I mean, there's like there's a whole bunch of us in in our local club, which is Calvaro. There's a bunch of us in, like in our mid 30s. Um, but we're also racing less cause we all have kids and like real jobs now. Yeah. Um, no, so my, my dad bought a race car when I was young. So that was, you know, so racing was it, you know, uh, I can, uh, to this day, I consume a vast amount of racing stuff on a, on a day to day or, you know, week to week basis. It, that's, that's the thing that makes me tick. The short, the, the longer version is in college, I switched majors to communications in no small part because I wanted to be done with college, and communications was only 48 units, so I could be done in two years. So <laughs> if, Copy that. True D- story. Did you
0: know that a political science degree doesn't require much math? Either <laughs> <laughs> you know does communications. <laughs> I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so that, so uh, while that was happening, my dad um, said, "Well, if you're going to switch majors, you know, you need to, you, know, you need to have a little more direction than just, or more of a path than just, you know." This is my major because communications is so broad. You can sure. you can you can use it or not use it for basically anything. A vintage racing friend of ours um, named Rich Conklin is a contributor at Ra- or was a contributor at Racer Magazine. Got me an email. I got in touch. i submitted my resume, and I was an intern. So so I, that
0: was your your out of college job or your intern during college at during, Racer Magazine. I
1: interned during college. I had done journalism in high school. I really enjoyed it. It turns out I was a decent writer. When when part of my dad going vintage racing is he subscribed to all the the good magazines and I just, I just read whatever I could. So I think that I was able to translate that somehow that was subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. It it was deep in there Mm. and um, I was able to write fairly well um, as an intern at racer. So they offered me a full-time job and actually worked at racer part-time until I graduated and then worked full-time there um, afterwards. So, that was the start of it and kind of somewhere along the way I started helping a couple of actually local carding series with their releases and stuff like that. And it got to a point that (laughs) I don't know if this is good or bad that I was making more doing that than I was in my day job. So I quit (laughs) because I I, might, my honest thought to myself was, well, I'm 24, 25, I have. I'm not married. I have no kids. I have you know. If I go broke, all it means I have to move back in with my parents. Right so now's the time to take a risk. Now the time to take a risk and yeah. So, and and so it, this
0: was you doing essentially starting your own independent yeah.
1: PR marketing agency. right? Yeah, basically. So luckily, and this was pre pre recession, so there was some
0: there was some money being spent.
1: There was some money being spent, and then it was very quickly all gone. And that was that was that was character building. Was you know there was a lot sure. of. There was a lot of soul searching when there was just very, it was very hard to find work, but I just, I knew I wanted to stay involved in racing. Racing is the thing that makes me tick. And I had come to a realization a long, long time, way before this, that I loved driving race cars. And, you know, that's the thing I want to continue to do, but that's not a career for me. I I don't have the le- I don't have the talent, I don't have the level of commitment, I didn't have the funding to even consider making a first or second or third step, but I just knew that racing was the thing that I enjoyed talking about and enjoy working around um and I find it very very challenging on on many different levels. So I said well, if if I'm if I'm the guy who still has to live with his parents at 30 because I'm not making enough, then so be it. I'll, I'll find a way to make it work. Sure. Cause, um, cause there's nothing else you'd rather be doing there. Basically. Yeah. And I, I, you know, like I said, there was a, there was a long time to, there's a lot of times where you, you, I really considered trying to do something else, but it's yeah. just nothing got me excited and still very yeah. few things got me excited the way racing does.
0: So, so what were, who were some of those, those first clients that you had when you were, you were, kind of had your own, PR firm,
1: well, doing your own thing. Well, like I said, there was a couple of karting companies in the area that I, I did some work with, and then the 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 big break, well, I'll call it my big break, was the forming of Magnus Racing, because a friend of mine, um, Craig Stanton, was one of the drivers, and without going into all the backstory of why this needed to happen, there needed to be a person there um, on the ground for Magnus. I was going to be their specific PR person. I happened to be, one, available, and two, cheap. So... <laughs> there i so th- 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 there i went you're hired I, I was in and i went to my first 24 hour in 2010 um which daytona, daytona yeah. yeah and that was that was the start for me in professional sports car racing and, and
0: that was that was around the time so when, when magnus was formed because um john potter had been racing but had been racing with another team and mm-hmm. kind of decided i can do better i can do this on my own i'm gonna form my own mm-hmm. deal here and so so that was that the first yeah race for magnus
1: race that was very yeah uh-huh. yeah so and i i i remember we went to i believe they still do it they have the december tire test and so it was december tire test then roar and then the 24 so what a what a way to start through trips to florida and i went you don't like florida what's, uh, what's wrong with florida it's not california there's no gators here <laughs> no earthquakes <laughs> in florida we, no we can p- we can do this all we day. Can, we might have to. It's it's. Where do you live again? Just curious.
0: <laughs> all right, moving on.
1: Uh, moving on. So I it was. I guess I didn't. I guess the best way to say it is you don't know what you don't know. And I prob I was in all honesty probably not prepared for that role, even though it was. It's a smaller GT team, and um, it was. I didn't appreciate all of the elements going into the forming of Magnus Racing because there was elements from Team A. There was an influx of people from the, what was Farnbacher-Lowell's. Yep. And we were getting a lot of questions about about that. And I just didn't know how to answer them. I was, I was probably not ready for that About level the
0: Farnbacher-Lowell's... Um, yeah. The reason that that, that team went away?
1: Um, there was some of that, but there was some of, you know, well, did you? isn't this just, you know... Fawn Rocker Lowell's 2. Part Two, oh, yeah, okay. and that that kind of stuff, and and I was ill prepared to to answer those. It didn't really amount to much, but looking yeah. back at it now, I, I wish I had appreciated that situation more. But at the end of the day, it didn't really make too big of a difference, obviously. And I, I'm not, I'm 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 by no means the architect of what Magnus Racing is and what it's become. And for, for those opinion.
0: who aren't totally familiar with with Magnus Racing and kind of their their unique strategy. I mean, talk about that because you were there from day one. Yeah, I mean, Was that kind of John Potter's attitude of, I just want to have fun and we're going to approach this a little differently?
1: So I wouldn't say that John said, I just want to have fun. Cause John, well, well, right. Yeah.
0: But I mean, he's serious about the racing. He's but, very
1: serious about the racing. But, but
0: talk about their specific, the way they go about marketing themselves and, and their, their strategy for... I,
1: I believe the tagline or in the description copy of the Twitter account, which I, I I'm pretty sure I typed into the feed when i mean in the engineering trailer like on on day 1 when everybody was in the room together was something along the lines of bringing the fun back to sports car racing or something you know some, something along those lines he clearly wanted to have a sense of humor he clearly didn't want the public perception to be that the team took itself too seriously but that's like i was saying that was not to say that he was just showing up to have fun because he very clearly wanted to wanted to have success wanted to do well he had to you know Sure. He got the best engineer he could. He got the best car chief he could. He got the best crew guys he could. You know. Yeah,
0: that that was always clear. But it, there's a lot of teams who approach things that way. Yes. But there are not. There a are a lot of people who not. approach the PR or marketing.
1: Yeah. So and I think and I think clearly, fans responded because. Yeah, people enjoy the (laughs) the the what I'll call the silly things that Magnus Racing does. That at this point, I think only Magnus Racing can get away with. Yeah, Um, it's it's worked out well for them, and they've you know they've so what's this 2018 so nine years now, they've built this persona for their program that fans respond to and the fans like. And it's when I say it's it's probably the only team, one of the few GT teams that has a full plan. Really thinks you know ahead to through the year, where their opportunities are, where they can do something funny, you know, when you look at the hero cards they do, when you look at just the, the things they the, say. The movie
0: theme posters uh, for the Rolex 24. Yeah, that, yeah.
1: That, that movie that I think it was Star Trek. Um, there's, <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> there's, you know, there's clearly, it's clearly well thought out, and not many teams do that. So Sure. Um, but, yeah, it, clearly the, the key differentiator for them is he has a sense of humor and he's willing to...
0: Has there ever been any, any time that we think they've gone too far? Or I Because mean, he kind of pushes the envelope with poking fun at other teams. I feel like... They I, try and stir the pot a bit.
1: I feel like if they had crossed the line, something would have popped into my head. And like, having not worked there since 2011, I don't, I, I don't remember the nitty-gritty of everything. Sure. I, I, I could be wrong. It's happened once or twice before, but I can't think of a time that they've like made me go, ooh, I, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Um but they did uh what year was that? I don't remember what year maybe it was 13 um when they had the the Star Wars movie poster mm-hmm. and I forgot who cuz I've never seen a Star Wars I don't know who the God. the character was but one of them looked a lot like another team owner <laughs> and yeah, Tommy I Kendall remember. Tommy Kendall called it out during the broadcast <laughs> And I thought that okay that yeah maybe that was that was but whatever well you know? yeah it's, no one got sued over that.
0: <laughs> well, what do you mean?
1: <laughs> i have not mean anything. This is, no one got sued over that. Did anybody get sued over anything else? Uh, not for Magnus. <laughs> fair, fair enough.
0: <laughs> fair enough. All right. Well, so other other than Magnus, uh, who kind of has their own um, unique you know style of PR and, and really you know pokes fun at a little mm-hmm. bit of everybody including, including themselves, themselves including yeah. themselves yeah absolutely um who who else kind of gets it who else does a really good job on um putting out the right kind of of messaging it doesn't have to be like somebody like magnus
1: so excluding selfishly excluding mazda from the conversation sure. because i think yeah i think we have work to do present I think company exclude i think we do a good job um it's kind of a complicated way to look at it but when you look at I like, I like what Porsche does because Port, Porsche has the benefit of being able to look back on uh, a lot of tradition, a lot of history. They actively embrace that. So I think when you look at the broad spectrum, I can pick apart you know little things that I dislike here and there. But I think on the whole, especially as it relates to motorsports messaging and motorsports history, they get it. They do a very good job. I think you could definitely... L- it's it's easy to look at things in a vacuum, like I don't like this element, or I don't like this element, or I don't like this element, and I think PR people tend to be pretty critical of other people's of, work. Other people, yeah, right. right. I, 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 this is weird. You're, like you're preempting that. my next <laughs> question. <laughs> so, um, so who doesn't get it? Oh who? <laughs> man, I could be I could spend hours, but to to, to finish my point on Porsche, I think if you cohesively look at you know the way they operate their teams and the team's PR and their team's social media. And you look at how that also fits into things like what I'll call what I'll just generically call their history, you know, the things they, the things they do like rent sport, for example, or kind of the way that they roll people out for special events. You know, we just had this, we, they just had the 70th anniversary thing. Um, Obviously there was a lot of motorsports tied into that. I think they do a very good job of reminding their customer base and their potential customers that they are a company built from built through racing so again looking at it selfishly through our little motorsports lens that's great that they are able to do that Um, i think anyone who buys a porsche whether you're buying a brand new what is it now a 997.3 or 991.2 yeah the okay let me take it the nomenclature's (coughs) dumb that that's that i don't (laughs) understand at all it used to be so simple but i think whether you're a new porsche owner or you're someone who bought a clapped out thirty year old nine eleven SC, you are willing you you are part of what you're buying into is the fact that this is a company built through racing. The heritage and, and yeah. Yeah. So and I, I don't think you arrive at that conclusion without someone or some people or some teams spending a long time building that brand equity. So it, it and it PR doesn't necessarily mean just one thing and marketing doesn't necessarily mean one thing. There there is so much overlap they all kind of have to work in concert. So in a very broad way of answering your question, I think Porsche does absolutely get it. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. And
0: and, by the way, it's a 40 year old clapped out SC. I
1: was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, but I'm glad that you agree that it's clapped out. Yeah. So (laughs) there's a 50 year old clapped out 912 outside. So, yeah, I mean, and I think on a, on a smaller level, um, you know, I, I, Ferrari, to my mind, did a very good job, but their goals were different because their primary focus in motorsports in North America is Ferrari Challenge, and I think they service that client very well. Um, so, th- so
0: they they put more emphasis on on Ferrari Challenge than IMSA, or I mean, what? So, why do you why do you say that?
1: So, yes and no. Um, I'll say yes because they put they put the events on, so they're right. they're a holy. You know, you go to a Ferrari Challenge event, it's all Ferrari. There's no yeah. support series, no promoter. It's them. So and they're a yeah. relatively small company, so it does take a lot of time and a lot of resources to put on these what is it, seven events a year. Yeah. Um and then, now there's always one F one event, you know, Montreal or, or Coda, right. but you know, so it's but, but the bulk of the events they are doing themselves. Um the the IMSA side of it's different because the teams are privately owned. You know, it's Reese, it's Scuderia Corsa. Um, before right. it was level five. So, the so you're saying
0: there's a larger um, percentage of the Ferrari budget that goes to putting on the Ferrari Challenge type of events where where the focus is maybe more on connecting directly with the owners Absolutely. than yeah. with the, the the greater brand messaging.
1: Right. Yeah, okay, that makes so, sense. So, yeah, and, and now, but that being said, the IMSA messaging for us was, was, I wouldn't say it was used all the time, but it was definitely a part of what their larger efforts were. Um, but frankly in my five years there, the IMSA stuff went relatively smoothly and three championships and a couple. So, you know, it, it was, it was general. It was typically good news that they could count on throughout the year. And at the end of the day, when you really get down to brass tacks and you're a small company and you're a low volume company, you're, you really need a hyper target and they're, the people who are buying their race car or buying their street cars as well as their race cars, they're all in front of you at a Ferrari Challenge event. So they did the right thing in that they just hyper service that yep. that customer base. Not that they never did anything with IMSA, because they did, but challenge was right. was the bulk of it. But so I thought in that respect they did a good job. I was only tangentially involved with, with challenge stuff, but certainly um, the the my my direct report there, who's a great lady and still there, she I feel understood the role of how motorsports could support Ferrari. So yeah, I think they did a good job. I feel like <laughs> it's kind of strange to say this. I feel like Lamborghini's getting it with how they're doing Super Trofeo.
0: Starting to get there, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're, interesting.
1: They're, they're they're. I think now. Do I? Do think, you think
0: maybe they didn't get it initially and they've started to figure it out?
1: Um, I think they w- because they don't.
0: I mean, they they don't have the racing heritage That's, that some of these other brands have. Right. So, they, so they're starting almost from. From Ground Zero on that.
1: Yeah, and, and it's been about... So I want to say it was 13 was when they started. 13 or 14. I can't remember that far yeah. back now. Um, but They all blend together eventually. Yeah, it's all, all these race weekends just look the same. But yeah, so they've definitely progressed in the right direction. I feel like they're lacking on the PR side of things because that's what I see the most. But you can't argue with the fact that they're now getting fields and they are bringing customers to the racetrack. And I feel like any time that you're able to bring your customer base to the racetrack, you're probably getting it on some level. Yeah. So saying that in mind, Corvette gets it 100%. I, I, if, if, if any manufacturer is somehow listening to this podcast, who's thinking about getting involved in sports car racing, just copy what they do. <laughs> do what Corvette Just does. do it from, from top to bottom, but don't hire them away. Cause some of them are friends of mine, <laughs> but they, they get it. Now, it's a little apples to apples because it's easier to sell a $60,000 streetcar versus a, you know, yep. $260,000. You're going to sell more of them, so you'll have sure. more customers to, to tap into. But, but they, the, the they activity
0: at the racetrack, the opportunity that they each have at the racetrack is essentially equal. Yeah. So so you're saying that Corvette Cor- d- does it. that part of it really Corvette, well. Corvette does. What, what, what specifically about the way Corvette does it that stands out to you?
1: They um, –
0: And you're saying Corvette specifically versus GM racing
1: in general? Well, well, and and I say... Just Corvette's a highlight. I say Corvette because it's Corvette that has been in sports car racing for 20 years. Yeah. I can't believe... It doesn't feel like it goes back that far, but, you know, there's Cadillac has kind of come and gone a couple of times. Sure. Um, Well, I shouldn't say that because they're obviously involved in prototype, but um, Corvette has built this program over 20 years and they've... Continuously incorporated the customers in, you know. I think I, I think we've all heard feehan and all, he always gets his interview during Lama. Yep. You know, and he's like, we have clients here, and without, you know, this big turn of European customers, this program doesn't exist. And I think you could say the same thing at Watkins Glen, at Lime Rock, at
0: yeah, they do the Corvette you know, car corrals and yeah, they they've always you know, even just you know from the outside. Mm-hmm. Looking at as a driver who's participating in the same weekends that um, that they're there, th- the the branding, the the amount of Corvettes you see parked in the parking yeah. lot, you know the the, um, the Chevy shirts you see walk around the paddock mm-hmm. um, is always the percentage is always a little bit higher than yeah. than some of the other brands, or or, or you can tell um, you can tell that they they put an emphasis on getting their right. people out to the racetrack,
1: right? So and when I again you look at how I would like things to go for us, it is very easy to say we're going to invite a lot of our customers to racetrack and it's not always easy to get them to turn out so the fact that corvette has consistently been able to have such a strong link between its customer base and its racing team i mean they're i mean you can, and you can spot a corvette guy in the paddock a mile away um but there's so many of them yeah. um, but they're there so that's i mean they they get it
0: all right so enough enough smoke blowing <laughs> We, we know who gets it. I would not disagree with any of those. I think the, the Lambo uh, La- Lamborghini point is a good one. Um,
1: and I would have given Lambo a hard time a couple of years ago. I, I but I th- yeah, they've done better. Yeah, don't mm-hmm. argue. Me. Fair,
0: fair enough. So so enough stalling. <laughs> who who doesn't get it? Who doesn't
1: get it? Um,
0: hang on. Or, or who, who could you? You have notes here.
1: No, I'm you. actually going to pull up the IMSA results from the last race so I can. <laughs> Because again, they all just blend together.
0: <laughs> well, it it doesn't have to be you know manufacturer necessarily. Uh, what 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 driver or what team? There's got to oh. be some some story of somebody you've worked with that has just colossally stepped on their own foot. You know.
1: Actually, I have not had to do damage control for a driver, which is which is really? rare. Yeah, no.
0: Okay, um. because well, in your in. It, when you had your business and do you still do um contract work on the side not really no, no. but so but when you had your business you were you were doing pr for teams mm-hmm. and these go-kart companies and and doing some driver specific pr as well right yeah so and, and none of them ever screwed something up so bad not oh, that's no it's disappointing
1: i l- l- i would love the 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 worst thing a driver ever did on my watch, I wasn't even there for because I'd skipped this one race because my best friend was getting married. So um, I I will say I did get a phone call about it, and that's like, I don't know. uh, Well, no, the wedding was on a Saturday and the race was on a Sunday. Um, I did get a call about it on the Friday as it was all kind of happening, and the short version of this story is the driver arrived at the racetrack without his hard card. And tried to drive past the guy at the gate, and the guy I we've all done that i, I can 't let i can't let you in you know um ordinarily, I think what a rational human being would do is turn around and go to wherever their hard card is or go to the nice overworked lady at the grand Am hospitality or hospitality uh, registration and pay your one hundred and forty bucks and get your temporary one and For this driver, hundred and forty bucks is like getting a candy machine or candy out of the vending machine but <laughs> Um, instead, the driver who was driving a convertible mid-engine sports car um, hit, <laughs> hit the gas, drove past the. Was gate. it a red convertible? I don't know what color it was actually. Um, could it have been red? It could. It could have been any color. Right. Um, it was definitely German. Um, uh, oh, it was German. Yeah. Oh, okay. So not a not a. Um, my point is not an inconspicuous car. So it was a homestead, Miami. So hit the gas, drives straight to his trailer. Was now a. Some kind of security team in pursuit of this very easy to spot car, parks it in front of the team's trailer and runs inside. And, uh. Are we going to get a name of this driver? No, I can't give. No, but if. if t- t- tell me and I'll bleep it. Uh. <laughs> does this make sense now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the short version is he was then taken away to, I guess, this. I guess that track has its own, um. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it holding cell.
0: <laughs> he went to Homestead Miami Speedway jail?
1: I guess so, yeah. Oh, I, I that's yeah. when I got the phone call and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you guys. What? I'm not there. <clears throat> Talk to the guy I sent. And you know, there was a very there was a very real possibility, however remote it was, that he could have been forced to skip the race oh, because of all this. So, if I had been there, that is probably a thing I would have had to, had to deal, with. deal yeah. with, but luckily I was nowhere near it. <laughs> And it all worked itself out. <laughs> all right. But, okay. So that's that's the worst thing I can think of. And luckily, I wasn't there. Now, now that being said, and I don't think it'll change this year, is now that I've shared this story, what will undoubtedly happen yeah, is the next course. year will just be a nightmare. Pure mayhem. Just drivers abs- saying the wrong things. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I will, uh, the nice thing about being a part of a program like this one with Mazda is we have six drivers who are obviously pros, I don't really have to worry about them saying yeah. the wrong thing. Which is it may sound trite, but it's a really, really nice thing. There have been situations in the past where you did kinda worry about or I did kinda worry about what this driver was gonna say. Was he or she going to you know, announce something they weren't supposed to and then be upset about it? Yes, but I've not really worried about that yeah. this year, which is a nice luxury. Gotcha. Gotcha. But Good. yeah. So I have no like awful stories of Drivers cursing live on air. Um, Although that (laughs) team owner cursed live on air this year after receiving, not our team owner, a team (laughs) owner. Anything is, almost anything is recoverable. What I, what I, what I would say is we're talking about our conversation about Twitter earlier. I know for a fact, there are drivers who have lost opportunities because of the dumb things they say on Twitter. Uh And it's, what's the, what's the old expression about how you can't win a race in turn one, but you can lose it. Yeah. You know, you can, you can, you can um, lose
0: opportunities by saying dumb things when you don't, when you don't
1: realize it. Yeah. You can totally,
0: people are listening essentially.
1: Yeah. And, and the, the, it's, it's, it's online forever. You know, it's, unless you delete it and you know, I, I guess that option is always available to you, but
0: well, but yeah, there's eventually, or there's inevitably, even if you delete it, somebody who's screen captured it and already texted it to their group text of all their buddies and gone, did you see
1: what <laughs> said? Sure. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, so yeah,
1: I'm guessing has probably said some dumb things on Twitter. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I may bleep that for him. <laughs> I may not
1: I may leave it in there. <laughs> we each got our one. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, that I don't work again. Whether with, with the six mazatemios drivers, I don't worry about that they right. they understand how it works, and they wouldn't have gotten to this point in their career if they were the kinds of drivers who spoke out of turn, and that's it and, it and I do see the irony in that because we the royal we we collectively wish drivers had more rivalries, more personality, you know, spoke their mind more right, and then we punish them instantly when they say something dumb. <laughs> there is a balance to be struck. I think, I think you can demonstrate personality without endlessly ripping the driver that apologize for taking you out of a race. You know, I think, and I think there are some drivers who reach a certain level of their career and think, well, I'm set now so I can say whatever I want. And that's, Mm. that's just not true. Um, unless you're incredibly rich and then just (laughs) do whatever. But yeah, I, I, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of stuff on Twitter and I just kind of cringe because I'm like, man, if, yeah. If 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 that were if that were a driver on our team it would it would be an issue. Yeah. Well um, I mean I
0: I've had conversations or I, I've heard of other people having conversations that have gotten back to me about, you know, something that's that, it's, that a, a driver or, you know, a crew member even mm-hmm. um has said or done. And yeah, it's a small paddock. Yeah. It's a small industry. You know, that stuff gets around and, and people pretty quickly go, well, I don't care how fast he is. I would never hire that guy or yeah. I don't care how smart that engineer is. He's, you know, he's a head case. I don't want him around. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the, 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 the Twitter effect is a real thing.
1: Twitter effect is a real thing. And I, I, I'll bet that you can count, we can collectively come up with maybe three people who have. Improved their racing careers as a result of your social media activity. I'll bet it's a very small number. Sure. You know.
0: Yeah. I. I mean. I, I think that. I don't you, think you can. You can easily do harm, like we just talked about, yeah. to But yeah, it's it's you know people may take it for granted. Social media is almost required nowadays. If you're it's trying 100% to. It's 100 required. Well, it, it, as a as a driver, as somebody who's who's got a public, or you know, even as a team, um, somebody who's doing something in the public eye. To, to help yourself, um, your, your persona, mm-hmm. your, you know, whatever, um, whatever kind of look you're trying to put out there, you know, social media is the one direct way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, people still certainly kind of step on themselves and, you know, look at, look at somebody like, like, for example, um, so I was just at Montreal last weekend during the the Formula One Grand Prix weekend and, um, you know, Kimi Raikkonen, you know, drives for Ferrari F1. I've heard of You he, he recently... Had
1: some legal issues.
0: It, well, recently had some legal issues, but but he recently started an Instagram account. Really? And yeah, but you know, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go, go follow him now. <laughs> but it's like he posts like the the like silliest, most simple like like he posted like a picture of like him and his wife, like just like a selfie, and like the caption was "wife." <laughs> and then, like, you went to go, like, follow, like, or, like, see his wife who he tagged. And, like, she posted a similar picture, and it was, like, husband. And it was, like, this is so Kimi. It's perfect. Okay, like, they, they get it. Right. Yeah. They they kind of get it, but that's who they are. Yeah. But then, you know, his teammate, <laughs> his teammate, Sebastian Vettel, you know, the, these guys who are at the top of their game. um, But, you know, Vettel has no social media presence. And so, you know, it's few and far between now sure. for people that don't. Um But then, then there are some drivers like, um, who was, I I was looking at Magnuson's social media and that looks, it's like, Oh, like this totally looks like it's run by some PR guy. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he gets the pictures from the photographer. He puts a a photo up on and some generic caption and there's no authenticity to it. Um, so, so sure. I, I, I I don't know. I, I don't know if I agree that there's only a few people who've increased their, their worth or their career, but, but it's, it's work. It's it's a part of the job. It's a
1: part of the it's a part of the job, but my and my point in saying that is if you have driver A and driver B and team owners making a decision, I don't think there's been too many instances where a team owner said, "Well, this guy's funnier on Twitter, so we're going to take him over the other guy." You know, I don't think that Right. Maybe that's all never that been often. the tipping point. Right. Um and and but you're right in that if if a driver's social media presence comes across as fake or contrived or overly polished, it turns people off. Yeah. So but well people want authenticity. So if you're a driver unfortunately, it'll it it might make no difference to your career right. but so, so you better have so social media so and be you, self-aware enough and to know that well. if, you're, if you're
0: a Jack wagon, <laughs> stay off Twitter. <laughs> there
1: there's right? really I mean, something to be said for just being a guy who just doesn't ever post anything. Just right. follow your friends, you know. Yeah. Um
0: no, so th- I guess I think the 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 flip side of that is is there there may be there may be a certain point where in your if you're a driver or, or you know whoever it ends up being I and mean, we're talking about drivers now mm-hmm. but um when they do reach a certain level when they can be a little bit controversial and mm-hmm. and be you know say things that maybe a, a a driver who hasn't quote unquote made it yet couldn't get away with saying <clears throat> um but i think that is is more rare um than than anything else on, I, on the social media side. Yeah, of things. I, I think you're But it's, right. a, it's a fine, very fine line to walk.
1: So I, th- and I, th- and I think when you've, you know, when you've made, when you've reached a point in your career that you are, you're happy, you're making a good amount of money, you're, you're driving for a good program. Um, maybe now you have the benefit of a little more experience. Maybe you have someone who you now live with, who reminds you all the time of the dumb things that you do. <laughs> Maybe at that point you start to think, you know, I have a strong opinion about this. I don't need to necessarily everybody. I'm just gonna text my buddy. You know, I I I do think that that is a thing that happens as drivers get older. You know, group texts are the are the new Twitter. The Moat Man. It's true. (laughs) Uh, I've got a few of those going. I really just 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 the 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 uh, there's there's one with me me and a, a group of fellow PR people that um, it started out as a best practices sort of thing and it just turned into group therapy. De- so de- degenerates pretty quickly. I yeah. wouldn't say this this <clears throat> one definitely didn't no, degenerate, no. but it has its
0: moment. So when, like, when like another team's car takes your car out or something do like, <laughs> the two media guys, like, meet in the middle of the media center and, like, arm wrestle or, like... <laughs> uh, no, that hasn't happened, although
1: the... the um, or, or media the, girls. The situation you just described did happen once um, I was uh, standing next to Matt Cleary at Mid-Ohio, and one of his cars um, took out my car and we just looked at each other like... We have to fight now. Uh, <laughs> celebrity death match, I guess. <laughs> but no that the the i i think um people are smart enough to realize that what ha- obviously what happens on track has v- nothing to do with what happens in the media center and i think that's it's important to remember that because sometimes we can get too wrapped up in what's going on the track and let it affect other things but no, unfortunately, there, there's very few stories of media people getting into photographers have gotten into arguments. But I've never seen a full-on drag out, throwing the lens at each other over um, over what like you like took my photo spot
0: or you're copying my style. Like, wh- think, what's a photographer going to fight with another photographer about?
1: I think it generally boils down to you know hmm. I, having not been in a photo meeting, but certainly understanding there are places you're supposed to be and not supposed to be as a photographer. When a photographer goes somewhere you're not supposed to. One, it can be annoying because maybe you're in a shot, but it also puts everybody else in jeopardy of having their access minimized. Right. You know, so I think that's, that's the thing that people tend to get upset about.
0: Well, it's like, I I could imagine it's kind of like the track limits thing with
1: drivers. Well, he did it. Exactly. Why why can't I do it? And, and what will really happen is he did it. So not only can he not do it, but the rest of you cannot do this other thing as well, because Uh. I clearly can't, you know. So, So they're harsher on the photographers than they are on the drivers. It would appear that way. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> At least in terms of track limits. <laughs> but um, yeah, now. no, un- unfortunately, where I would consider on the whole, everyone in the media centers a fun group of people, um, but just not a fighty group of people.
0: Well, but s- spice it up. This is your chance to uh, you know, throw
1: some shade. Who, who are we going to throw into the bus right now? I'll send a direct link to them. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not a direct, it's not, it's no one in the media center per se. It's, it's a frustration that I have and I've, I've had for a long time. It's, we're clearly, we collectively as a sport, sports car racing, do not do a good enough job promoting ourselves, talking about ourselves. Why that is, I don't, I think it's particularly in the case of IMSA. It would not be a great look for NASCAR if IMSA was getting, was overly successful in its efforts to promote itself. Um, and well,
0: So so how, I guess, yeah, take the, Thirty thousand foot view. How like if it was if you're if you're a NASCAR marketing chief and and you you go to a meeting tomorrow morning and they say all right uh, NASCAR is dead you're now in charge of of IMSA <laughs> and and we want you to to make IMSA th- the next hottest thing on the block and you've got an un- unlimited budget to do it what would your first couple moves be how would
1: you I think the I think ultimately what it boils down to is you have to put talented people in place and let them kind of do what they need to do to attract media. What, what what people who haven't worked on this side of it don't understand is you before you tackle a problem as it relates to marketing or PR, you need to understand what the problem is and then what success looks like. Right. It's not...
0: Yeah, define what success looks like. That's a big tenet of how I approach a lot of what my coaching and, and racing yeah.
1: programs are. I mean, we, we have to, you have to set out with a direction in mind. Sure, yeah. Not no. just a result. And... The, you know, the definition of success for Mazda is probably different than the definition of success for Porsche, than for Lexus, than for, name your OEM, there's 17 in IMSA. And then, so put all that aside for a moment, and the definition of marketing success for IMSA is probably different. Yeah, You know what I mean? But at the same time, their challenge is, they need to keep all these OEMs interested enough to keep showing up, right? You know what? Because
0: I think, yeah, that, that's a good point. Because I think what a lot of people um, maybe don't understand is that the you know traditionally the race teams have always been thought of as the customers, mm-hmm. but at the IMSA level, the OEMs are just as much the customer yeah. as the race teams are, and so mm-hmm. that's that's a delicate balance that IMSA has to right. has to maintain between keeping you know the teams interested in the racing product and, and what they are they're being offered, you know, the, the series that, that they can go run in, um the races, the type of racing, the cars and all that. And that's that's one concern from the, the team owner side of things, mm-hmm. um, who are putting a lot of their own either their sponsors or their own personal companies or yeah. their own personal bank accounts um on the line to go do this um versus the OEMs who like you said, their goals and their objectives, yeah. and the way that they they go racing, are, are a lot different um, because they're essentially they're both customers of the sanction.
1: That, no, that's one hundred percent true. So, you know, look at Daytona. Daytona is probably the, the the best example for how manufacturers actively get engaged, right? Because you know, putting a team on the track costs an amount of money. You know, it, it's not as whether you're in prototype or. GTD. It's not. It's not a small amount of money. It's. It's too much money. But yeah. that's a different. That's a different podcast and a, a different longer, guest. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I just know words, <laughs> so I I just do what that other person tells me. So <laughs> me no numbers good. Yeah, me no, but yeah. What Would you say uh, political science? Yeah, no numbers. Exactly. Um. So look at Daytona. So putting the team on the track cost X, and then that's the one event that everyone. Who is an OEM that treats us, you know, with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of attention? They also have their their activation. They might also have their ride and drive. They might also fly in guests. There's a couple. There's at least one, maybe two, who do like annual dealer meetings there. Mm-hmm. So, you know. This is a,
0: there's more money being spent on the event than just what's going on at the
1: racetrack. It, sh- it should. It it's should, a huge. It should be equal. You know, if if you're spending X on racing, you need to spend X on promoting your racing. So right,
0: and you're saying it should be equal everywhere, not just Daytona. Cr- uh,
1: cr- well, I, I, and I and I and I mean that on a macro level, like overall right budget right. throughout the year. You should, if you're spending money racing, you need to spend money to let your audience know that you are racing. That you're there. You know. Yeah. So this kind of just goes back to, one, yeah, this is obviously pretty important. These these 17 OEMs are a very important customer base for IMSA, who then also has to contend with the team owners. And on a communication standpoint, your goals are different. Sure. The team owners, the smaller team owners, are probably looking to IMSA to help them more than or in a different way than, say, the OEMs are. So when I jump on IMSA for not doing enough to grow the sport – I'm I'm doing that without a proper realization of what their day-to-day struggles might be. Right. Um, but the problem remains the same. But they're trying to solve the issue of keeping everybody happy. It's too many people. And it's racing. (laughs) Someone is upset, no matter what. The guy who wins is still gonna complain about BOP. Right. The guy who loses is still gonna complain about BOP. (laughs) And what are you gonna do? So yeah, that that's that's the while for the fans may have been a neat tagline. The real, the the, real the, the the sad and hard truth is those that complain about every race complain about every race. They are still watching. Yeah. You yeah. know what? They're I, not the
0: ones you have to appease because they're going to watch anyway. They're yeah. going to bitch anyway.
1: And you know what? Frankly, if you tell me that you're a hardcore racing fan and, you know, Imsa needs to change X, Y, and Z, uh, yeah. I don't want you to...
0: <laughs> right. You're already here. You're going to watch anyway. Le- very likely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, through through good times <clears throat> and bad in sports car racing. So I grew up on IMSA GTP. So I've there was it was really good. Then it was bad. Yeah. Then you know it. But so th-
0: this kind of speaks to my I, my theory is there's no such thing as a casual motorsports fan, and I think that's kind of our problem is because it's 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 hard to be uh, a racing person. It's hard. I mean, you have to be so invested yeah to, there's some to, truth to that yeah know, to, to get a lot out of it you have to put a lot in and so you know maybe maybe the idea of chasing the the casual fan or trying to explain ourselves to the the person who who doesn't already see it yeah. and get it a little bit i mean that that's a tough proposition too
1: yeah so i'll I'll put it to you this way when i if if i'm chat if I'm chatting with John editor at some men's lifestyle website or magazine and explaining what it is that we do here. I can say Mazda races in the prototype class, which is the headline class, right? Well, how many classes are there? Blah blah blah. You know, it's complex. Yeah. But it's easier for me to describe a top level, you know, we are the premier class, we're the fastest, you know. Right. That's a little bit easier than when I was trying to explain we have two Ferraris. One is in this GT class, and one is this GT class. They look identical. They I look identical. I can't tell
0: them apart unless I'm standing
1: five feet away. And even then, there's like two tiny aero differences. Like it, right. is it So, in some in some way, it is easier in the prototype class to explain sports car racing. Sure. Than it is if you're in so, the GT class. Yeah. But this is all to say, it is when you have an editor's attention for a minute, you need to. Sell it as best as you can and as quickly as you can. You can't drown them in the details. It's just, yeah, because yeah. All, all they're hearing is, "I can't explain this to my fa- to my audience." Yeah, if I don't
0: get this, my, yeah, they're not going to get it. They're yeah. not. Yeah,
1: so, um, well, I, I go back and forth between whether the casual fan exists or doesn't exist. I, I feel like they do, and I feel like they don't. I know the hardcore fan exists, and it's great that they're there, but they're there, and they. Need to invite friends or something like that to come along. Frankly, um, <laughs> that, copy that. That's how I. That's how I feel about it. But um, but when you when you have someone who has bought a a CTS V or has bought a new 911 point whatever it is now um, or an MX Five or you know you, you've you've if you've bought the performance variant of the car you're the target. Frankly, yeah. Y- you you know okay now see this car in action at at xyz you know i feel like you might have an opportunity there there is an opportunity to always capture that crowd that audience that you know um and again using the collective we i don't know how we go about doing it better than we're doing it now i kind of know how we're doing it internally i think we're doing a, a good job um because part of what Mazda does is tries to make a very direct, like I was talking about the dealers earlier, a very direct connection between right. racing and the product in the showroom floor. Um, so I do think we always have this sort of renewable well of people buying cars who might be interested in attending a race. You know, if you bought if you bought a BMW M3 in Southern California between January and April, frankly, you should be very interested in going to watch the ma to long beach yeah or you know
0: well and with bmw with the way one of the ways they go about it is they send you to the performance center sure either on the west coast or the east coast so yeah i mean that there there are ways of sure of capturing new people and i i think um it it really falls on on everyone. It falls on the OEMs. It falls on the the drivers to be ambassadors of their yeah. sport uh, and not say dumb obnoxious things on, on social media. Um, you know, it, it it falls on the the series to to put their money where their mouth is and and try new things. You know, l- l- go after new markets. Um, not not kind of rest on the laurels of of the hardcore fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah, it's it's not a so it's not an easy fix. So but, that
1: that's that's a good you know. way to say there's. There's no good fix. There's no easy answer. We have we have a complex sport, and with a lot of moving parts. That thankfully now is going to be on a television station a normal person can see, starting in twenty nineteen. NBC Sports, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So that 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 I think will will make a difference. I, I, I truly do. Plus yeah. I, I I watch NBC Sports a lot because of hockey and cycling and they and obviously IndyCar, um. And they do they yeah. do a good job. Yeah. So I'm excited I, I about that. I,
0: I think you know this is a whole other conversation as well, but I think streaming and online
1: that the more we can capitalize on that the better it it is just drives me bananas that oh you're so old school though drives me but no i i'm oh you you want it i'm pro i i am so it drives me insane that in this day and age yeah i cannot watch a race in my country online because the television station says no Right. It, 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 it be, and the only reason they say no is they haven't figured out a way to monetize it. Yeah, I'm figuring out a way to monetize TV. Wow. Here, so. Yeah. It, it, it just it just drives me up the freaking wall. I, I was I had a similar discussion with some PR friends earlier because because this, this weekend is Lamont this weekend is Lamont. I I'm, I have Velocity, so I'm set, but I can't. Get the W C app anymore in North America, unless yeah. you're in. I think unless well, you're.
0: Well, you, you can get the app, but all all you can do, like right before you got here, I was looking at live timing. Yeah, and it's like that. I that's don't care it. about live. I, timing. I can watch every other WEC race live on my phone, except for the one, except for the big one. The one, one that I really dri- want to watch. It just
1: drives me. Not, e- even yeah. I can even watch PWC races live, but I cannot watch an MSR race live unless yeah. I lie to my computer and. <laughs> Say I'm in Canada <laughs> this is so backwards yeah. now and and i've i under, i understand the business reasons behind that, but i just can't yeah. accept that it's good it's not it's not good it is so dumb we 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 are in the process of getting rid of our cable to go um fully streaming on our t v yeah you know i don't I, i'm definitely not the only person who's who's doing that, so i don't know why we collectively are so behind the ball on this but um it yeah. it's just it, it's just it drives me nuts that I can't watch Lama practice on my computer unless I yeah. get some bootleg stream on YouTube that crashes every fifteen <laughs> seconds. So, I've just been doing the Radio Lama thing. But yeah, no, nothing um, wrong with that. Those guys do an awesome job. Yeah. Um,
0: all right, so let's start to wrap up here because now now I have to edit this down because we've we've just rambled and rambled. We'll, uh, we'll do it all again. No, <laughs> nope. Like I said, there's only one guest that got that privilege.
1: <laughs> are, um, you, are you married to her? Yeah, married.
0: <laughs> I might have to edit this part out too. <laughs> She's not going to listen. All right. So, no, she won't. She'll listen. Um, so, back to the vintage racing thing for just a second. Um, you, know, you still drive vintage cars. That's mm-hmm. kind of your, your outlet for, for motorsport. It's how you got into it because your dad's a vintage racer, yeah. right? Talk about um, this event that you put together, Pre Grid.
1: Oh, Pre Grid. Uh, Might as well
0: plug your own thing here.
1: If it happens again, um, <laughs> yeah. the The short version is my buddy Anthony, um, who's actually back when I was the youngest guy in racing. He was the second or the youngest guy in Vara. He was the second youngest guy, <laughs> so we became friends because no one else talked to us. Um, we just decided that um, one we have a big gap in the Vara schedule in summer, and a lot of cars just kind of sit around. We thought let's do something that. Might bring people in to you know get interested in vintage racing, and we threw an event with um, a local shop called Stance Works, which um, is run by a couple of guys who like lowered BMWs um, <laughs> and a Mini Cooper, and because uh, they, they do have a, a pretty uh, pretty good following on their own, and we just said ah, let's bring some cars out and let's see who turns up. And the first year was great. Um, it was a very warm day, um, good race car turnouts, good crowd turnout. Um, Vara said a lot of people signed up for just the general newsletter. How do we get involved in racing? No one rushed out and bought a car, but certainly yeah. people at least knew where they could go, how they could watch, um, who to ask about building a car. What was you know. Yeah. A lot of people
0: just well. So so you're doing you're now doing the thing that you're talking about needs to be done in motorsports. You're creating events. You're bringing new people out. You're trying to expose the greater automotive yeah. world to your little niche of racing.
1: Sure. Um, and I, I think the the one thing that it did do was, and and I I don't appreciate this because my dad's raced cars since I was very young. So for me, the the mental hurdle of going racing didn't exist. The financial hurdle, has, <laughs> right? Uh,
0: well, has it, always existed. It, it's funny because I was talking to a, a buddy of mine who was listening to some of the other episodes who who hear, heard uh, David Telenius and, and Robert Stout, some of the first guys I talked to, um, talked about how they got into racing and the fact that they went to a racing school. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's how they, they got their start. And, and it was like, you know, this guy I was talking to, was um, a crew member on one of the teams I work with, and he's, he's from the UK. And he said, I, you know, I didn't think that, I didn't realize racing school was a thing yeah. I could go do to get involved in motorsports. It's just like, I thought I had to like, own a car and like have a team and like that that i don't you know he was like i don't and i don't know if that was me being naive or not knowing how it works but this is a guy who's you know, now involved in motorsports professionally mm-hmm. going man i would have liked to have driven at a younger age yeah um if i could have gone to a racing school it's so it's, so we kind of take for granted sometimes that oh
1: 100 percent that
0: we, we're in we're already involved we don't question how do i get involved and we so and, maybe that's part of the hurdle here
1: and again the collective we we don't do such a good job of letting people know that this is a sport. One, that this is a sport, right? And two, that your average Joe could do it, or your average Joe could buy a ticket and go to a race. And you know, yeah. But that's a whole other thing. So, um, what it what I I think we were able to do with a lot of people is one, show them a race car, what goes into making a race car a race car. You know, it, it's in the case of a vintage race car. You know, the the the, the class that has had all the growth in. in in this neck of the woods is the B sedan class. So, um, 1510s, BMW 2002s, Alpha GTVs, um, the, uh, the odd Volvo 142, um, you know, sedan cars. Um, you can spend a ton of money on them if you want. is racing. You can, you can make anything expensive, but th- there's really not a whole lot to it. You know, it's some safety equipment, it's a roll cage, it's a seat, it's a fire system, fuel cell, some correct guidance in how to build a safe race car that'll pass tech. But for a lot of the feedback we got was it's not nearly as complex or challenging as I may have thought you can get on track for way less than you you might've thought. So, but that part of it is a struggle for me to understand because like I said, my right. dad's race cars, Take so I've granted, yeah. been around it, you know, I've never stopped racing because, or I've never not gone racing because I couldn't prepare a car. Didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. I've not gone racing because I haven't had any money. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: well, you explain that part to people too. It? Yeah. yeah, it's it's you know it's not the cheapest thing to do, but it's also you know, the barriers to entry um, maybe not as high or or as scary sure. as uh, as a lot of people I think maybe perceive it to be.
1: If if I had no no um, exposure to racing until you know now you know, mid thirties. Um I would look at that and say, "Well, that's a thing I could I could do." It's like oh, it's like buying a Corvette, frankly. It's like it's it's an attainable goal. Maybe I can't do it right this second, but it's not so lofty that it's impossible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um yeah. so I'll say in that respect our yeah. event was successful. Um that was last year. This year it uh it was supposed to rain, so we moved, pushed it a week and it rained on our day and <laughs> it just sucked. So I yeah, it was. So so, so, so racing is like that, you yeah. know. Sometimes sometimes it,
0: it rains in Southern California on your parade.
1: It literally, literally, literally did. Yeah, and you know when it, and I can, I, I'm guilty of this too because I didn't bring my car. But the reason I didn't bring my car is I tried to load it up the night before on a new trailer, and just ripped the exhaust right off it. <laughs> I was so pissed, <laughs> and um, then I just left it, so I didn't bring it. But you know, to so load up your car on an open trailer in the rain. Uh, such a pain and so yeah. i so we had a lot of cars that didn't show up and i totally you know yeah you, I, I get all it right. so all right so but but that's not that's not the last pre-grid event there'll be more i hope not we'll see um, right, so if you're
0: in southern california keep your eyes peeled for pre-grid three and come out and check out some vintage cars and i'd rather go you go racing i'd rather you just come to a race Or just, track. just come just to a var race.
1: race um they're very, they're pretty cheap <laughs> they're fun to hang out it's strange people who own their own race cars love to talk about them. So you'll <laughs> probably, you you'll probably get fed and been given, you know, be given a couple of beers and just hang and out. Learn and, more about some obscure Volvo that you never thought you cared about. Ex- yeah. Basically a Volvo, yeah. a triumph, a uh, Sprite. The Sprite. Uh, yeah. Everyone should race a Sprite. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Are there like BOP issues within Vara within vintage racing?
1: So the answer is no, because, um, oh, thank God. In and this is going to sound dumb, but in, in Vara's rule book, there's, except for like Formula Ford, which always had a spec, and the sedans because they care, actually, they care too much. <laughs> um, it, it, I'll take that back. There's BOP ish- issues in V sedan. Um, all the rest of the classes don't have a weight rule. The, the kind of only hard and fast rules are pretty basic like um, stock stroke, um, there's limits on wheel size. And that's about it. You could, you just have to you're hoping everyone else is honest, basically in terms of engine mm. displacement. Um, so we don't really have a post race tech. So it's it can sound like oh well then I could I could totally cheat up my car and kick everyone's ass. You could, but uh, once or twice and then well and, and it would take care of itself. Well uh, let let well yeah you'd probably be socially ostracized first of all <laughs> and second of all what have you won. <laughs> right at the end of the day of a vintage racing weekend, the only thing that matters is whether the car is still in one piece and And whether beer to go around and whether or not, (laughs) as my, my, my friend, uh, Sam Smith would say, Sam's a editor of road and track races in our club. Um, who him and his team have perfected the art of having enough beer to go around at the end of a race weekend. That's kind of it. Like, do you want to win? Of course you want to win. Sure. I think most of us care more about having someone to race. Um, and this is going to sound kind of mean, but in <laughs> in club racing, you know, where the level of talent is not what it is at, say, a Pirelli World Challenge or an IMSA or whatever, when you're the guy cheating, it is so much more obvious. It's so obvious, yeah. Because yeah. one, they, they, they can't hide it. Right. When you're when you are no, when, <laughs> when your mid-corner speed is awful, but you're still passing three guys at the end of the next yeah. round because the next three guys' mid-corner
0: speed is nowhere. Or when you're peeing nowhere one weekend and you show up a month later and you're now winning by a mile. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um. It's it's pretty easy to spot when when Copy. people are when people are cheating. Uh. You know. You have the fastest. You know. You're no one's better. No one's quicker than you in a straight line, and you're still getting outbraked into turn one <laughs> at Willow Springs. Yeah, you, bro. You're cheating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That that so copy that. But but the whole point is we're just there to have fun, you know. Yeah. We are there to have fun, you know. We're really not there to take it seriously. We want to beat our friends, but we'd still like to, to give us our beer at the end of the their beer at the end of the day. So that's that's the most important thing.
0: Right. Fair enough. All right. Well, we got uh, tons of stuff here. We have covered a lot of ground. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for coming by.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna get to listen to this first before you.
0: Eh. We'll see. Maybe I'll bleep some stuff. Maybe I won't. (laughs) All right, Mel. Thanks. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks. uh, Sounds good. See